0: Hello, dear listener, and welcome to yet another episode of The Inforium. A productivity show, ostensibly, with uh, myself, Thomas Frank, and my good friend Martin Bamey as your hosts. And I guess I just always do that voice now. Yeah. You, you have to make podcast memes, and I guess doing fun voices is a good way to do it. Anyway, uh, on this week's episode, we are going to sort of center the discussion around the concept of rebooting your life, which is very uh, sort of high concept thing. But I wanted to talk about this because Martin, you just moved to a brand new state. I finished doing
1: it. I'm finally done. Which
0: now makes the Inforium the best ostensibly productivity podcast that's actually secretly a mastermind call every two weeks in two different US states, not just one. Yeah, so how, how did the move go, my dude? It's their first episode uh, um, post-move.
1: The process was terrible and difficult, but now that I'm here, it's amazing and it was worth it.
0: Okay. And how so?
1: Um, and which one?
0: Like, uh, it being amazing and worth it. Because you've only well, been there for three beautiful days. beautiful and
1: gray and rainy. And uh, I, I feel like I live in a fancy hotel. And it's a... It's a Great, great view, great neighborhood, very walkable, lots of cool stuff.
0: Why do you feel like you feel like you live in a fancy hotel? Is it a fancy apartment building or something? It's a fancy apartment building.
1: Oh, it's
0: very fancy. I feel very interesting. Fancy.
1: I feel like so, I'm on vacation right now. This is how I would feel if I had just gone to like uh, Seattle because it's been gray and rainy too. But mm-hmm. I feel like I'm on vacation and like it hasn't quite sunk in that I'm not
0: leaving. Okay. Uh, well, from my perspective, where you have just moved is a disaster zone because I've heard two sirens so far. And we've only been talking for like uh, an hour.
1: Well, from my perspective, it is the Jedi who are evil. So
0: <laughs> what now? Do you want to know what I was watching last night? The 2003 Clone Wars animated shorts. Oh, no, you know what? I've heard, that, I've
1: heard that those are good.
0: They're really good. I have never watched the later 3D animated ones that came out and I I looked on Disney Plus last night. There's seven seasons of that. And I don't know if I'm going to get into that cuz I've heard it's not amazing, but for anyone who hasn't watched the 2003 Clone Wars shorts that were they were aired on Cartoon Network back then. They're all yeah. on YouTube and people have edited them together into seamless compilations. So I think back when I was watching them as a kid, it was a, it was like 5 minutes per episode. And you'd have to wait and now they're just, it's like an hour-long they're, they're supposed to be it's pretty great. good. Um, they're re- yeah, they're really good. They remind me a lot of Samurai Jack. I, I don't know Samurai if Jack. the same person who did Samurai Jack did these, but they the animation style, particularly the movement, reminds me a lot of Samurai Jack. Hmm. And I have to imagine that somebody worked on both shows. I don't know that for sure. Could have looked it up, but I didn't. Yeah. But yeah, so you've only been there for three days, so I guess uh, me asking you your your perceptions of living in an apartment building again versus your townhouse are probably premature, but uh, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, How's it feeling to be back in a more dense urban environment?
1: I actually like it a lot better yep. th- thus far. Um, oh, also given given that I'm in an apartment and this is a temporary brand new setup for the camera, sorry y'all if you hear sirens and cars and giant seagulls. There aren't going to be giant seagulls, so I made that up, uh, etc. But I really... I just kind of like feel more of a part of a community. This is a very Mm -hmm. walkable area and being in an apartment building by default sort of means Mm -hmm. I'm around people more often. Um, I felt like I could go entire days without seeing another human in the townhouse. Well, Well, I mean, actually, but secretly she's not a human. Don't tell anyone. But I could not. Yeah. COVID didn't help at all, but... It just feels like I'm a part of a, a community in a way that I like more. It feels closer mm-hmm. to how it was in college, which is often an experience. I Parts of I would try to recreate and have been trying to recreate.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, as people probably know, I did the opposite of what you have done and bought a house that is in an outer ring suburb of Denver. Uh, true. And now that vaccinations are looming, I think it is, uh, I can say with pretty high confidence that within a month from the day we're recording this, March 23rd, I will have at least gotten my first shot. With all of that looming and the world sort of opening back up, I'm realizing that where I moved is not walkable in any slight sense of the imagination. This is true. And it's weird. Like when you're touring it, and I think. I think COVID had a lot to do with this because we'd basically been locked in our houses with nowhere to go for months. So that was the context in which I was touring houses. But when you're touring houses and when you're looking at neighborhoods, you don't think about the things that you have to live with in terms of the outside neighborhood when you're doing those tours. So I remember you know, driving there, oh, this doesn't take too long. This is pretty easy to drive there. And I remember pulling into the neighborhood and being like, oh, hey, this is, pretty, there's trees, there's like hills here, which aren't in central Denver, that's kind of cool. Yeah. But then you move here and you realize like, okay, you want to go for a daily walk? Well, there's nothing to walk to. So the only thing to look at are other people's houses, which aren't really areas that you can go interact with. So it was funny, like I have a friend who was considering leaving his suburb house at some point for a house in the country a little bit. And at first I was like, well, dude, like, look at the walk score. It's actually worse. And then I realized, is there any difference between taking a walk in a suburb neighborhood and taking a walk on your three acre country property? Not really.
1: You're not knocking on everybody's doors. You just go outside and come back
0: in terms of area you can interact with. So, uh, and and the part of the reason I've been thinking about this is uh, we have a creator in Standard, his channel is called City Beautiful and he's like an urban planner. So I've been watching a lot of his content. It just sort of popped up on YouTube and um, it got me into this side of YouTube that kind of talks about urban planning and, and the problems with suburbs and things like that. So I've been really interested in recently and uh, there's all this research to show that humans really like to be in somewhat enclosed spaces. And there's a whole lot of like, evolutionary biology behind this. Any organism that you observe tends to stick to the edge of a room if they can, because it feels safer. And uh, I had been wondering like, okay, why do I miss college? Part of that reason I think is because the campus is one of the few areas that you're ever in where it's really built for walkability. And there are buildings that kind of build this sense of enclosure but when you're downtown or I don't know if you're downtown but you're probably in an urban enough area you, you still kind of get that oh, so it's a I, more pleasant I very place much to be feel like that
1: um, yeah. actually there was um speaking of that I actually have this in the notes I was going to talk about it um, I was talking about it and we and Ashley and I were talking about how we were excited about this area Ashley sent me this tweet that she saw coincidentally mm-hmm. just um, it's from Gnome de Barbarian to give credit where credit is due. But they, they said, I forget who said it, but it's stuck in my head. Half the reason folks romanticize college is because it's the last time most folks lived in dense, walkable neighborhoods focused on providing community during plentiful off hours. Like, that could just be how we build cities. Yes. and And this has really been like, ever since leaving college, that's what I've wanted. That's why the first place in Colorado was like a relatively walkable place. Mm-hmm. Um, the townhouse was actually in a reasonably walkable neighborhood. Um, and this that is the most walkable place I've been miracle. in since college.
0: Yeah. That that neighborhood specifically in Denver is kind of a miracle because it was uh, an Air Force base and then it got turned into... Yeah,
1: they designed it very mm-hmm. specifically. Yep.
0: Um, they did a good job on that. And it actually has taken me moving to the suburbs to realize just how intelligently that community was built. They they didn't do a ton of mixed use zoning and I'm sure the city wouldn't have let them, there's not like a coffee shop in every corner. But if you live in that neighborhood, the grocery stores and restaurants are like less than a mile away. And to some degree they did, um, they did not do the thing where they do in the suburbs where everything is all kind of one band of income or at least price. Like a lot yeah. of the houses are expensive, and then some of the houses are really expensive, but then there are the townhouses where you lived, and there's a couple of apartment complexes, and there's even a couple of Section 8 complexes.
1: Yeah, it's like actually economically diverse and, and mm-hmm. super nice parks and everything. Super smart planning for that neighborhood. They,
0: they also made the streets narrow because a lot of the suburbs make their streets wide under the erroneous belief that wide streets are going to reduce visual impairments and make people drive more safely and reduce accidents. What it actually does is turns your streets into a highway and people drive much faster on them. Like I find myself going 35 on the residential streets in my neighborhood without even realizing it because they're so freaking wide. that my brain goes, this is a highway, I can just zoom through it. And I'm like, wait, nope, gotta go 25. So they did such a good job. But but yeah, like that tweet you said is basically what I've been thinking. Like the last time I lived in a dense walkable neighborhood in quotes, neighborhood that was designed for pedestrians and walkability was in college. I won't even count that big high-rise apartment building that we lived in when we moved here. Yeah, that's because not quite. we lived in the middle of parking lots. Yeah, you
1: could walk to so, stores, but that that was like the walkability was stores and yeah. a trail.
0: I've just been doing a lot of research on this and like I'm reading a book, well I've read a book called Walkable City and now I'm reading a book called Strong Towns, which is more about how like suburban development is actually financially ruinous and the only reason that it's propped up is because we keep building more suburbs and taking on debt, but uh, oh. the suburbs are not financially sustainable. Um, that's maybe a subject for a podcast at some point. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's it's got me thinking about like future houses and things like that, but yeah, the. Basically, what what I've been reading is for people to want to walk places, it's not enough for a place they want to go to be in short walking distance. They also want, like, interesting things to be along that walking route. So, if I live half a mile or even a quarter mile from, like, Whole Foods, okay, cool, but I don't want to walk there if everything along that route is just a parking lot. Yeah, or even if exciting. it's just an open green space. A lot of people are like, "Oh, just put in parks and green spaces." But if it's just this if just an open field, like it's the kind of the same thing. A little less it's just a bunch than of grass, like. nothing mm-hmm. else. Yeah, so, you know, what I've been learning is like what we do in America is just spread our cities out because cars allow it. Terrible. And what we should be doing is uh allowing for more density and mixed use, which is what Europe has done. And I've never been to Europe. So I never really knew this, but I've also been like looking at Google Street View in random cities in Europe, and every single one of them is just much denser, and there's people outside.
1: Well, and a lot of their cities have age that America can't even imagine, and they were around mm-hmm. way before cars, so it just kind of... Yeah.
0: yeah. But before before like World War II and before cars were a huge thing, it's still the way that we designed cities in America. It's just after World War Not II. Not no we more. We want big Hummer trucks. We had gobs of money.
1: I actually want so, a double wide Hummer, and then that's that's what I drive Hummer. down the street. And I, a I need a parking garage for it. Yeah, dumber. That's a good idea.
0: <laughs> yep. So uh, that could be a whole episode, but um, I, I'm on I'm on the same page you're on now. The part that I've been trying to reconcile is like, okay, did I personally make a bad decision with where I chose to live? Yes, it's not very walkable, but there is the constraint of the stuff that's closer into the city is really freaking expensive.
1: True. This is true. And particularly with your space needs.
0: Yeah, because my the rub for me is like, I need space to film videos and, and do production and like Tony works in the office with me, so we kind of need a decent amount of space and to get that, we either need to buy a sort of large house or get place for me to live and then also get an office, yeah. which is probably going to be at least $2,000 a month if we want something that is going to have uh, both quiet and space to film videos. Like a WeWork office, not going to cut it. You remember that little glass cube we were working in? Yeah. There's no way we could film videos in that. That was 1300 bucks a month. Now, that was right downtown, and it was in a big skyscraper, so maybe there's something better we could yeah. find, but... It, from everything I've looked at, it was gonna be like probably two thousand to twenty five hundred bucks a month for office space at the minimum, plus a you know, a mortgage or a rent on the house. The one thing I have thought of is maybe I could find I could literally rent an apartment just to, like to film maybe. videos in and have two apartments or something like that. Um but but the alternative is get a bigger house in the suburbs and then the mortgage itself is under three thousand a month. Which is crazy. Yeah. Like I'm realizing it is crazy in terms of, of why it's possible. But um, you know, for my personal reasons and my personal strategy, it made a lot of sense at the time. So I don't know. The point I'm at is like, okay, cool. Well, I know I want to be in a walkable area again moving out here has both made it cheaper for me to live, but also now that I know what I want, I have like a goal in mind. So I'm now very incentivized to work hard and meet that goal. Yeah. And I don't know specifically where I want to live, but I know where I don't want to live. <laughs> and that's it's, probably it's yeah. just basically a number yeah, of that's miles one from step downtown. Closer. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know one thing you were curious about that I, refrained from giving you details on before we started recording this is uh i recently got an e-bike and yeah. that was a good purchase
1: yeah i want to know actually about that i want to bike a thousand times more here
0: cool all right and i'm going to use this as like segue into reboot your life because what i'm realizing is this thing is uh enabling the formation of a keystone habit i think we talked about keystone habits before for people who are new to the podcast it's a term yeah. from What's it called? The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Great habit book. And a Keystone habit is essentially a habit that heavily encourages the formation of other habits that are usually positive in nature. So it kind of creates a domino effect. For a lot of people, um, starting to eat healthy can be a Keystone habit that will help them to exercise more. Um, I think one mentioned in the book was getting up early helped with that. Like you get yep. up early, you feel like you have time in the morning, you make healthier breakfasts, you make time to exercise, all this kind of thing. For me, getting an e-bike has sort of opened up more places I can go, but in a way where I don't have to drive and I get purposeful exercise every single day getting there. Uh, remember how I used to be completely like in awe of how people didn't do anything in terms of exercise other than just like go to the gym or take jogs or whatever. I kinda get it now. People move out to the suburbs and nothing fun is within walking distance. So the only thing they can really do is either just take a walk in their neighborhood or go to a gym and like plot on a treadmill <laughs> or, or lift weights. Yeah. I, I kind of understand it's just like you don't have the you don't have frictionless proximity to other fun things. And you also don't have uh, easy opportunities for purposeful movement. In that like, I'm gonna go and I'm going to get some physical exercise, but I'm literally going to a place. Whereas where you just moved, that's easy. You wanna go to the grocery store? Okay, you walk there. That's purposeful movement. It's not like I'm gonna convince myself to go walk for half an hour just because I need it. It's I need to go somewhere, so I'm just gonna walk there. Yeah, happened to get exercising. life
1: naturally demands the exercise of me. I don't have to mm-hmm. insert it in there.
0: So uh, w- and this I've only had it for like a few days going on a week now, but there's like a Sprouts grocery store that's like five miles from my house. I tried riding my regular bike there once and you know, it's fine. I've done a lot of biking throughout my life, but I live in a sort of hilly neighborhood now. So uh, when I got there, I was a sweaty <laughs> mess. <laughs> it was basically a workout, not a commute. So convincing myself to go there on a regular basis on the bike is a taller order. So you know, for most people, the only other option is drive. The e-bike, I did it this morning, it was so easy. It took me a little bit more time than I would have to drive, but it was so much more pleasant. I was on trails most of the time, which thankfully they decided to build trails in this neighborhood. Uh I could listen to an audiobook and I'm on trails, so I'm not worried about you know getting hit by a car or something. yeah, and the a little amount of uh, assistance the motor provides you basically just makes going up the hills as easy as it would be if you were on flat ground. So you get there and it was like, cool, I just used this this tool to commute, not to get a workout, grab some groceries, and came back home. And I don't know what it is, but like when I'm biking places, I feel better about myself. When I go into the grocery store, I'm more incentivized to buy healthier food. And also, like, I'm more incentivized to go more often. Another thing that I was reading about people in Europe is they more often will do like daily grocery shopping instead of big weekly trips. And that's just because their grocery shops are like, I don't know, five blocks away from where they live. And uh, if it only takes me like, you know, 30 minutes round trip to do an e-bike ride to the grocery store. I would probably do the same thing. Like, cool, I'm just going to hop on my bike, go get dinner, come back, cook it. It just it, sort it's of It's kind of been what we've been doing so far. Ha- have you? Yeah, I don't know what it is. It just it it makes it more pleasant to go out and get food. It gives me a reason to go get some exercise and it makes me want to eat better. It makes me want to have a better routine. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, I feel much happier when walking or biking places. I feel like a car is always me racing to get there. I just want to stop driving. I'm annoyed about traffic the whole way. Yeah. But biking and walking makes me happy, and being happy makes me want to do better things. It turns out happy people are more motivated to do things that will keep them happy and in good condition. Turns out. Which is part of why you can't, like, yell at depressed people to get better because some of the motivation comes. It's a difficult, like, uh, cycle. You know, uh, what's that mm-hmm. called? A feedback loop. But it works in both directions. The happiness feedback loop. Well, you'll get a small bit of happiness. It might push you to go to the store. You might eat something healthier. You might get happier and happier as you continue to do things Mm -hmm. that are actually have positive feedback.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I am absolutely happier when I'm on a bike than when I'm in a car. Like the moment I hit traffic, I'm just really angry. You've seen it. This is like the only time other than using Adobe products where I get visibly angry <laughs> yeah, is when I'm in traffic. It's not fun. When when I'm on a bike, it's fine. Even if like I'm in an area where I have to slow down and it's kind of crowded, I don't care. And I think it's just like the fact that you can see other people and you don't just see these boxy metal contraptions, it makes you more empathetic and also makes it easier like weave through. It's just a different experience all around.
1: Yeah, yeah, like that person's, they're going places, I'll let them pass on if they need to, Mm -hmm. rather than like, that stupid red jeep up there, they they can burn, they can burn and die, because they're in my way and I hate them. It's it's a jeep, it's not a person.
0: Yep. So what I'm gonna do is uh, a little bit of like a purposeful schedule reboot experiment, and I can't, I'm not gonna say I'm gonna do it for like 30 days straight every single day because I don't think it's gonna work that way, but I wanna use this bike as a way to get myself out of the house more. So what I'm thinking is I'm gonna get a co-working space membership and on the days where I don't need to record media or be editing, I will go there to do my work. And when I'm hoping, and this is like my hypothesis going into the experiment, what I'm hoping this will do is actually crystallize my schedule more because I want to be riding my bike to the co-working space. And I'm picking one that's near one of my favorite gyms. So I could also use that gym. And that way it will incentivize me to compress all of my recording, podcasting, video yeah. kind of stuff into like one or two days. So then I the can dream. go out for the other three days. That's the dream to me. Yeah. Because I've noticed like, and you know, I think everyone's probably feeling this because of COVID. When you're inside your house all day long, life just becomes this one long stretch of nothing, nothing's ever broken up. The
1: memories like (laughs) melt together. Like they do brains just like that wasn't even an important day. Why'd you even live that one dummy? I'm just going to erase that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. And I also don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess I like going for walks or bike rides, but if it's just like, okay, I'm just going to go for a loop just because it's not as, it's not as fulfilling as I'm going somewhere with a purpose, either to go buy food or cycle to the climbing gym or, Go to the co working space. Like, that is more interesting to me yeah. than uh, I'm going to go walk a mile just because I need the exercise. I don't know. So, man, like, I've just been going through brain blast after brain blast the past couple of weeks, like, learning about all this stuff, learning about how we totally change the way we design cities. And there's just so many connections I'm making here. Like obviously, the the reason that Americans have higher rates of obesity and things are partly due to how much access we have to bad food, but also I think it's partly the way we build our cities and environments. Everyone has to convince themselves to exercise because there's no other reason to do it. Whereas you know, and the only other country I've been to is is Tokyo, unless you count like little tiny jaunts to Canada, but uh. It, Japan, not Tokyo. No, but, the, know, country, lot of time the great I've spent, nation the to- of Tokyo. Great nation of Tokyo. Look, they have a lot of people there, might as well be a We're
1: American. They'll forgive us. We don't know You're anything.
0: there, like you have no choice but to walk everywhere. At least the train station. So every single day is filled with purposeful movement. And I would like to build a life again where I have that. So here, because of the distances involved, I think an e-bike is the thing that basically enables that. Um, Someday in the future, I would like to be able to move back closer to an environment where walking would be all that's required for that. Uh, it is also something that I would like to bring to the table as a consideration for anybody thinking about buying their own house. And I wanna, I'm kind of glad that we haven't done our second house buying episode yet because it is something that I think people should think about.
1: Yeah, and before you, you know, get yourself on a billion-year mortgage, and you're like, "Uh Mm -hmm. uh-oh. It'd be good to think about it first It's a super long-term decision. But I've been enjoying walking. I I haven't biked yet because I stupidly put my bike lock key in the moving cube that is not here yet, not Uh in my car, (laughs) which had the bike attached to it. So I have a bike, but I can't lock it up anywhere, Mm -hmm. so uh, I'll get to it. But I really wanna, I really wanna bike a lot more and walk a lot more. And this is possibly the best place to be a cyclist in America.
0: And I'm, I'm really excited In terms of large cities, too. it's one of the best.
1: Yeah, it's got like a bike highway. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Twin Cities are amazing for that. But I haven't gotten to do it yet. I'm really interested in that. And then I'm interested in the idea of an e-bike. That sounds fancy because, like, if I'm dying on the way back, it'd be nice to have a little. A little boost that makes it less like I'm trapped now. I yep. can't move my body anymore. Please help me.
0: I had a, I had a scary experience my first time on the e bike. <laughs> so I guess let's do story time. Remember the time when I went out for a bike ride in college and uh, almost died on the yeah, side of the road? Yeah, that was a terrible decision. Uh, this was the closest I have gotten to that.
1: In a on long an e bike. So, did you go too far
0: out? So here's what I did. I got my e-bike home from the bike shop. Woke up the next day. And I'm like, okay, I want to ride this, and I want to put it through its paces. I'm going to ride downtown and work there today. Uh, and Google Maps said 22 miles to downtown. Well, it, I don't, I, I don't know if you were still here when we got our big snowstorm. You may have missed it. Actually, I think you missed it by one day. We got a huge snowstorm, like two feet of snow.
1: Wait. Oh no, no, no! I saw that one. I was packing.
0: Oh, you're packing. Okay, yeah. It was one of the biggest snowstorms we've had ever. Yeah, that ever. was one. And so it took forever for it all to melt off. And of course, Denver doesn't plow, but what Denver especially does not plow are bike paths and sidewalks. So I, mm. I'm i like, I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna try to cut through this path here. And I had to push my bike through snow for probably about a quarter mile. And I was gonna give up, but a jogger passed me the other way. And he's like, uh, it's clear up ahead, so you should be fine. So luckily it was. I get downtown, it's awesome. And then I'm doing a bunch of errands and stuff and I decide to come back. Coming back, I have to keep the bike on eco mode cause I only had like basically the number of miles that I would take to get home was the amount of battery I had. The bike also has an integrated light, which is nice but it also means that the same battery which is powering your e-bike engine is powering your light and it's getting dark. And I'm cutting back through this area, which is kind of like a nature preserve area. Uh, and it's getting very dark at this point. And I start seeing some deer. I'm like, oh, hey, cool, there's deer in the dark. And then I look over on a hill and I see a coyote running around. And I'm like, hmm, huh." I didn't know much about coyotes. So I'm like, if I have to push my bike through the area where it wasn't clear again, am I going to have to fight a coyote? <laughs> So That's. I turn around and had to add like unique. four more miles to my ride. At this point, the battery was almost dead. So I turned the motor off and uh, I think I hadn't drank enough water either because like about two miles from home, my body's just shaking. And I'm, hmm, this this feels suspiciously like that one time where I almost died on the side of the road. I had luckily picked up dinner. So I took like half of a baguette out of the, out of the pannier bag and ate it. <laughs> and got home and it was fine. You're fun.
1: dying by the side of the road surviving <laughs> on half a bed. Why do you want to die in ridiculous ways? You should have just okay, fought the coyote, so you know?
0: here's. I could have well, I could have eaten the coyote, but yeah, that's, that's protein. It that would take a while. It. I needed sugar. I guess I could drink that's the fair. blood. That makes sense. This is getting weird. Anyway, my friend I Charles I was drink like, the blood. I, actually, I don't even know if I want to say this. I don't want to put this out here as like a PSA because I don't know if he's wrong, but he told me coyotes are never going to mess with you. Now if it's a wolf, get out of there. But if it's a coyote, I don't know. Now I don't know, so what I'm gonna do is not get myself near coyote infested areas in the dark so I don't have to find out for real.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think just not taking that chance when you don't have to is the pro play.
0: But anyway, what I have discovered is even with conservative riding using the lowest setting most of the time, uh, the bike's internal battery will get me to downtown and back almost exactly. So I am getting the external add-on battery you can get. And I think it, I don't know mm-hmm. if it doubles the capacity but it almost doubles it. Well, that'll help. So what well, that'll do is basically anywhere I wanna go, I can do it on the e-bike. And um, it also came with an integrated rear rack. It's not the smartest rear rack I've ever seen cause the fender kind of goes above it on the middle part. So you can't put like a top thing on there but at least has the bars. So I got one pannier bag that is um, just a regular one, and it's like rainproof and you, you just roll tops, so that's like good for throwing groceries in or keeping your gym clothes in. And then I got another one, which actually is a messenger bag that just has the hooks for going onto the rear rack. So I don't have to have a backpack which is really nice Oh, because nice. that is actually the thing that makes you like the sweatiest is having a back yeah like against a, you. that
1: area up again your back in in between mm-hmm. the thing that gets so terribly uncomfortable
0: yep so you can just be you know unencumbered no backpack um the other thing i like about the e-bike is i didn't get a road style e-bike i got a commuter style so it's a more upright seating position i'm almost considering getting those curb back of bike i have yeah and do you, are the handlebars on yours? Do they curve back like a Dutch style, or are they just straight?
1: Mine don't. Mine don't curve back, but it's definitely um, designed for sitting up more or less straight on the bike, rather than having to hunch forward and go at Mach five.
0: Yeah, I'm. That's kind of how mine is. It does have the straight bars, so I'm still forward a little bit when I'm seated high enough to get like the, the right cadence with my leg length. So I'm yeah. considering maybe even swapping it for. Dutch style curve back handlebars. So I am putting I am no pressure on the wrists at all, which would be pretty nice. But because it's not like hunched over, my my hands don't get sore and it just feels more relaxed in general. Uh, and so yeah, the the messenger bag just clips on and then you just take it off and it's got laptop pocket and everything. So I can just take that into wherever I'm going. It's pretty sweet. So what this has, number one convinced me to do is, uh, I will probably not buy a Tesla or an electric car anytime soon. I'd considered it, but an electric car is better for the environment than a gas car. Sure. Though there is a there's like an economic calculation you have to make when you buy the car because manufacturing it has oh, yeah. taken a lot of resources, uh, and when you buy it, you increase the demand there. Um but the other thing is, if I buy an electric car and I'm buying a car that makes me feel better about driving, then I'm incentivizing myself to drive it more. And on a macro scale, this is why like I'm sort of worried that Tesla and the EV industry in general are barking up the wrong tree. If if our solution to pollution, the rhyme was unintentional there, if our solution to that is, uh, you know, everyone should just drive EVs. What we're doing is just saying, okay, let's use the same exact transportation style that incentivizes the same exact city sprawl and all of that. Then we're just incentivizing more sprawl, more environmental waste when we're spreading out more, more infrastructure that we don't need. And I think that's the wrong way to approach it. So yeah. what I may end up doing, I haven't fully sold myself on this yet, but I may actually trade my car for a smaller car that's cheaper so i could save like half on the monthly payment because i don't want to use it that much i would rather bike everywhere and now i have a thing that lets me bike everywhere without it being a sweaty workout the entire time that's exactly how i feel about it
1: cars I feel like it's like the assumption if you assume that a car is the answer then an electric vehicle is a cool idea but one should challenge whether that's actually the answer because the problem is transportation not how to use a car and Mm -hmm. I only really want my car for like going to venture out to you know like outside the city going to see uh, the North Shore going to see national parks and things Mm -hmm. outside of that I don't really want to be driving a whole lot I would prefer to just sort of leave it. I remember when we first moved to Colorado, I only had to put gas in the car like maybe once every month or two because of how little I was driving. Mm -hmm. And I loved that.
0: Yep, I loved it too. Yeah, when we first moved here, we were right on that trail. Yeah. So
1: I hardly ever drew my car. You could bike all all over the place. Like, I don't want to drive that much. It's a big part of what I'm trying to do to Mm -hmm. get myself out of the house more. And I'm excited about it.
0: Yeah, so. I, I'm putting this out here um, because I'm excited about it. That's the main reason I'm excited about it. the other th- the other reason that I'm sharing it here is for some people it's going to be a viable option to think about. even if you live in a cold climate, Minnesota, specifically Minneapolis has yes an insanely great biking culture even in the winter. even in the winter, which is like one of the worst if, yep. if you know winters in the whole United States. Now, part of the reason for that is that Minneapolis actually invests in, cle- in keeping their bike paths clear during the winter. The other half of that is people bundle up. They will do things like, uh, I've, they actually put like wind guards on the handlebars, kind of like they do on motorcycles. They'll do things like that. Uh, and they'll put studded tires on the bikes in the winter so you can actually ride on snow. So there are ways to deal with the snow and the cold, but also the city They make an effort to keep the paths clear as well. So, that is another reason why I'm putting this out there because if more people start to realize, hey, this is the way that I would like to live, eventually enough people want that that they start demanding it of their cities. Yeah. Because this is another thing I'm learning. Like, the reason, the part of the reason we keep building in this way is planners and traffic engineers and all these people assume that this is what people want. And in many cases, like, okay, yeah, it is what they want, but it's because they don't know anything else. Yeah, they haven't questioned
1: it, why that's what they want. They just mm-hmm. kind of... It, the default assumption is I would like to get a fancy car, a fenced-in yard, 17 dogs, and a big house. Yep. That's the, and that's it, the default. It turns
0: way. out, like, if you ask somebody, hey, what would you think if I took away all these parking spaces downtown? That people get so pissed and they we're gonna sue you, we're gonna remove you from office, all that kind of stuff. But then like in a lot of places where they just do it, after a while, people love it. They're like, oh wait, hey, cool, I can walk here. And nobody complains once it's done. Yeah. So in many cases, like it just has to be done that way. But for that to even happen, you have to have enough people who want it and who, who vocalize it. So I'm vocalizing it, and maybe more people will in the future. And until then, I just have an e-bike and I'll bike an insane amount of miles. (laughs) Yeah. Until I can afford to move back. That's the other problem is like, uh, it's just so expensive the closer you get to the city.
1: Well, I cut my square footage in half in order to get one Yeah, and so. So that's the sacrifice I made. I traded space for mm -hmm. the location.
0: This coming from, uh, and people know this, like a very non-minimalist person. I'm not a minimalist at all. Uh, this is maybe the best argument for minimalism that I can think of. The ability to live in an area where you have greater access to things within walking distance. Because I, I don't... I Like the whole like, oh, decluttering makes me a happier person. I want to live in like this Scandinavian designed white box with nothing in it. Like, I don't understand that. I don't understand the appeal of like, I only own 100 things. But... Yeah, that's like weirdly specific. Not having... Not having so many material possessions that you are forced to live somewhere where you need to use a car, that may be the best example of a benefit for minimalism that I could think of.
1: Well, that's often how I, I talk about um, my minimalism. The reason that I get rid of things isn't because things are evil, it's because the more things I have, the harder it is to focus my time on the actions I would like to do. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, and one of the actions I would like to do is go be part of a community bike, walk around, uh, take photos, there are objects I need to do those actions and then there are objects I keep around because I'm hoarding them, thinking maybe I'll use it someday and it's taking valuable space that I pay rent for. Yeah. And, it, and in, if I have too much stuff, I can't cut my square footage in half like I just did to mm-hmm. come be in a much cooler location for what I'm looking for. It's yeah. That's none of that stuff I got rid of, and I got rid of a bunch of stuff. I paid the uh, I paid Junk King to come take a bunch of big things that I didn't want anymore. Um, none of that stuff was worth sacrificing the location I'm in. I'm I'm
0: happier without them. If this is what I get in return. Mm-hmm. So on the topic of like the whole reboot your life thing, because I feel like most of this episode has been sort of dancing around that, but also like different. Yeah. Why did you move? We'll start there.
1: Uh, Well, I moved because there are a lot of reasons. Um, One is the nature. I like the nature more here. Denver's cool. Colorado's cool. But I feel, to me, the most beautiful parts of Colorado are like west of the mountains. They're up in Mm -hmm. like Breckenridge. is incredible. But I was in Denver, not near those things. I want to be somewhere with a lot of water and a lot more green nature that's a Mm -hmm. lot more humid. Because I was noticing, for me, and... I gotta be really in tune with myself to even figure this out but when I would go outside and I would smell the air I could tell if it was a humidity of like 30% or higher because I would feel fantastic every time I did I'd be like this smells like home this is right Mm -hmm. and if it was like below 20 I would smell that too and I'd be like this doesn't feel right I mean the temperature is nice but it doesn't have that something Um, so I wanted to move somewhere where it was more humid I think my skin is going to like it a lot more um no matter how much I tried to drink water, I had a lot of trouble staying hydrated there. I uh, did not adapt very well. But there's also a lot of a lot of the green nature, a lot of water here. I'm closer to family because I think that you know, uh, family is important. I want to see people, and it's easier now for me to drive down to Iowa and see family. That's a pretty short drive. But I can also fly back to Denver at a moment's notice, so I'm mm-hmm. still in a city area to where it's um, accessible to fly somewhere for not a billion dollars. Because you know, flying places in Iowa cost more by yeah. default. Um, so it's partially Let's get for family, that
0: Tuesday, Thursday, Spirit flight. Yeah,
1: yeah, you got to do strategies. <laughs> it's partially for family, partially for nature. I've never been here before. I've never lived here before. I like forward. I Mm -hmm. like that it's new. That feels adventurous. And moving to this neighborhood, I just really don't want to live a life where I spend most of my time. And obviously the pandemic didn't help us. I don't want to live a life where I spend most of my time inside, keeping to my own self, not being a part of the community. I want to be outside. I want to be active. I want to be biking. I want to be part of the community. Um, I don't have a pull-up bar anymore. I might just start using the apartment gym. You know, I used to say, I don't like gyms. I've said it on the podcast. I don't like gyms. It's a small amount of anxiety. It's inconvenient. Mm -hmm. I got to go to it. But the more I stay home to avoid that anxiety or really any anxiety, the more I avoid it, the the stronger it gets. The more I get used to not having to deal with it and the less prepared I am to deal with it and the anxiety just gets worse. And it's a feedback loop that keeps me inside indefinitely until I challenge it. Um, I'm just gonna cut that out. I want to leave the house more often and be around people and get used to it. It's not gonna get better for me by staying home. Um, yeah, I, ju- I just really want to have a a new chapter
0: mm-hmm.
1: that allows me to go take a whole bunch of photos and bike a lot, and I'm I'm excited about that. And we've been walking every day. It's been beautiful and gray and rainy, and I love everything about it. Feels very northwestish. Other than the fact that obviously I don't get the the salt air of the ocean. Yeah. That is definitely not over here. That's it doesn't reach that far.
0: I really like salt air. It's nice. It's very, it's very nice. To nice. Be maybe around. if I
1: just throw some salt outside every day, then can I throw
0: work. some salt in an air diffuser? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, maybe, yeah maybe
1: you just do that. I don't know if that'll have terrible consequences somehow, <laughs> but. I just want a new chapter. I feel like when you move into a new home, it feels distinctly like a different part of your life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of habits have location-based habit triggers. So I was, um, I was walking or, or at, actually lately driving to the cafe like every day for a while because that was one in Denver In Denver because Uh one, that was the only location to go to with a goal. Like you were saying, it's like, it Mm -hmm. feels less rewarding to go outside when you don't have a place to go do something and then come back. Yeah. And I had been sleeping bad. So I had become reliant on like coffee constantly. It wasn't even really helping. I just got used to it. And that habit is gone now entirely that there's no trigger for it. That cafe is not here. I'm not in the same place. Mm-hmm. Most of my habits are dissolved. I get a chance to start over and build a new environment, and an environment is, you know, I'm going to make up a percentage here, but 80% of how my life has lived is automatically based on the environment I've surrounded myself with. So I've changed it, and now I can start fresh. I also get mm-hmm. this effect a little bit by rearranging all my furniture and stuff like that, which I do from time to time.
0: I actually almost never do that because I feel like I have the optimal layout. But yeah, the the change thing is big. I think in The Power of Habit he talked about how like people are likely to change big habits they have or even small habits when they move. The only one I remember right now is like people are very likely to change the breakfast cereal they eat if they move to a new house.
1: Well I think um, that was in the book. That's That's a very specific one to to have data on. That's it is but like it's just very yeah, you, interesting.
0: You, you end up in a new environment, and everything is foreign, and then you you are just incentivized to change things.
1: Yeah. It's just, okay, everything has been dismantled. Mm-hmm. I could immediately attempt to build things the way I had them, but I also have a chance a chance to to stop and, and think, wait, do I actually, how did I feel about that now that yep. I could choose something different? Um, I was ordering groceries all, all the time because of, you know, pandemic stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm close enough to stores now that that would actually be completely ridiculous for me to do, so <laughs> I have to face a little bit of anxiety, go out, mask up, and mm-hmm. get some groceries because it would be an absurd waste of money for me to deliver groceries <laughs> where I'm at right now. That would be the, just the dumbest thing in the world. Um, I
0: don't even know. What are they even charging Like, like Unless I
1: was groceries? immunocompromised or something, which I'm not, there would be no mm-hmm. reason to take on that extra separation between me and groceries yeah. at this point. Um. And I don't even know what they charge because I was so I was doing it so often I didn't even really remember to look anymore. You know, I don't know. Mm. I don't even have any idea. I was out of touch with it. Something about digital yeah. shopping does that, you know? Um, but I'm also, I'm here starting over with my possessions as well since I got mm-hmm. rid of a whole bunch of stuff to fit in here. And I'm trying to do a, a sort of different way of building my life. So when i went to denver the first time my first thought was okay this is my adult home it's me and ashley we're here together there's no one else that's it if i can build the perfect setup with the best furniture the best stuff and solve all of my future home problems right now everything will be fixed and i'll be happy forever obviously that is naive and it did not work out that way um New problems showed up anyway. Things I thought were solutions didn't fix anything. Um, I, spent, I spent a lot of time trying to fix future Martin's problems and not focus on present Martin. And the trade-off never worked because future Martin kept trying to fix the, even more future Martin. And mm-hmm. I never sat back and you know reflected on my current life at the time. So I ended up with an apartment filled with fancy stuff that I wasn't happy in, that I didn't like, that I had spent a bunch of money on. And this time I want to start over. I've gotten rid of most stuff. And I'm accepting temporary solutions in favor of focusing on the present instead until I find the, until I stumble across a really good long-term solution or it becomes really necessary.
0: Mm -hmm. Or until it becomes a long-term solution. Like you just think something's going to work for now, but it might end up working for a long time as well. Yeah. I think that's a good way to do things Um, to kind of go back to city planning and part of the bit of Strong Towns I was listening to this morning, uh, they were saying that is that is like a very clear divide in how we used to build cities versus how we do it now. Everything now is focused on get it to its finished final state, like perfection, as quickly as possible, and then that's just how it's always gonna be. Whereas the way we built cities in the past is, okay, We we need a pop-up shack basically to live in or to build a little store in. So let's just throw up four walls and a roof. Okay, cool. Like it and, grew a uh, little bit over time. And it can grow over time. It can change over time. If you've got like a downtown area with some people who are running a shop and like, I don't know, they're running a Magic the Gathering shop and uh, people start hating Magic the Gathering and they want to play Pokemon or something. Like, okay, you can just swap out for Pokemon cards or everyone just hates card games. Cool, that shop might close and that sucks for that shop, but that building can be reused for something else. And everything can just... Sort of chaotically evolve over time, and uh, one of the things they were saying is like chaotic evolution usually ends up being smarter than top-down evolution or top-down like innovation. They call it if you're trying to plan something, and we kind of understand this at the at like the biggest level. Like everyone sort of knows, like okay, command economy didn't work. Having some central planner be like, you go, you guys make shoes over here, you guys make iPods over here that doesn't work uh, like a market economy works better but for some reason like when we build cities we still try to do that and maybe we try to do that in our personal lives as well and a lot of times it just doesn't work because you're trying to solve a forever problem where yeah. what you should be solving is the now problem
1: yeah we're, we're too too much trying to like finish something that can't really be finished Mm-hmm. And then surprised when we did it wrong, even though by definition we almost certainly can't do it right. Uh, it's like the expression, uh, pave the cow paths. Like, wait to build sidewalks until you see the areas in the grass where people have walked so many times that the grass mm. is dead that whole trail. Because mm-hmm. it turns out that the people just showed you the shortest path that they need to take the most often. Yeah, It's that one across or that piece of grass. that's the path they want to take. Yeah, the, it may or the most fun path. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like um, you could be prescriptivist about it and say these are the paths you must take, but people aren't going to anyway, so you could just see what happens and then and roll with it. And that's something I wasn't very comfortable with because if there's a little bit of anxiety in it. You're saying this isn't solved. Mm-hmm. There there might be a thing in the future that I need to fix. There might be something I need to change. I would like to fix it now. I'm anxious about the future. Um. It's something, actually, I was talking to Ashley about this, and apparently in, uh, in a podcast earlier this year, John Green described uh, something that he has a, like an emergency level system mm-hmm. where um, if you picture like a tall building, maybe, uh, a level nine emergency isn't a big deal. Like you're on the ninth floor, maybe something's going on outside. You're like, oh, that's down there. Maybe it'll get here. It's not, it's not an emergency, but a level one emergency is on the same floor as you. You need to answer to it right now. I spent a, a whole lot of time ignoring level one emergencies to fix all of the other levels of emergencies first, hmm. and it doesn't, it doesn't uh, help, because yeah. solving the problem in front of me is more fulfilling anyway, and I'm more likely to do a better job. When it's in the present, I have the information I need to solve it. I don't know what future me is going to do. I don't
0: know what he likes. What, what drives us to ignore the level one emergencies?
1: Um, maybe because I don't think it's just you wrong, Mm. Mm.
0: or you don't want to do it. Maybe
1: yeah, or maybe you maybe you hate like let's say maybe it's an essay that's due. You know, Mm -hmm. it could just be a big assignment in school. Maybe you just hate it, so you'll be like, "I'm gonna clean the house." You procrastinating is another another thing. Yeah, that basically refers to something similar. Um, and I did tons of that. I'd be like, "I'm gonna have the perfect living room." Mm
0: -hmm. Did
1: I did I do the things I wanted today? No. But trust me, I researched lamps really well today. I know all the <laughs> best lamps. That's, that's not actually even a problem, you know, that you just turn the light on. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And then later, if you're bored, you can get a new lamp or something. If you, if you really, if it comes up, but there are other I things at hand. I wonder part of
0: it is the fact that the, the big problems right in front of us, solving them is really difficult. And so we feel like we can eke out a little bit of additional happiness for very little extra effort. If we go and like get the best possible lamp or if we put lots of research into getting the best TV. Yeah. Like, well, Hey, if I get the best TV, I'll be happy. Even though like I've got things going on here that I don't like. And yeah. And, and like the difference problems, doesn't even really matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I've learned about Like, like TV specs don't matter. They only matter when you're in Best Buy looking at TVs and you can compare them like side by side. Oh, that one is bigger, okay. Well, that one has better refresh rate. But like once it's in your living room, I don't know, maybe other people feel differently about this, but I never think about the specs on my TV when I'm watching a movie.
1: Yeah, you have to be very specifically into that. Mm -hmm. And you need to know you're that kind of person to care about it, but if you suddenly care in the store and you've never thought about it before, it, it probably doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. Now, I don't think that applies to literally everything. Like there are certain things where I do really care about the specs, like maybe on guitars. Yeah. So I don't think the, the takeaway guitars. here is like, okay, uh everything like that is a level nine problem that doesn't warrant any thought, just go out and buy the first thing you see like I don't think that that's how you should think about everything, but it, it is a thing to think about, especially if you do find yourself ignoring big problems in the in the present and focusing on small things, yeah, so you have given yourself a great opportunity for making life changes because you've moved to a new city, yeah uh, and for I people who of stuff started over for people who are generally like bored, or unsatisfied with life who are not currently moving to a new city, what do you think we like can give as suggestions for building a new routine, rebooting life, as it were?
1: Um, well, one thing uh, that I mentioned earlier was um, potentially rearranging how your house works could be mm-hmm. something that actually, that actually helps. Um, back in the old previous apartment I was in, after about the first year into it, at some point I just got annoyed how the kitchen was set up. So I took out every single thing, put it under this big table, and started it over, thinking really critically about okay, what do we use the most? What does Ashley use the most? She's shorter than me. I should make sure that those are on lower things. And then I rearranged it based on what things we used the most, how we used it, where something would be most convenient based on what we were doing, essentially paving the cow paths, but in the kitchen. So mm-hmm maybe there's something going on in your life that's been set up that way because you happened to set it up that way and you've never questioned it, but it would honestly feel like really refreshing if you were to mm-hmm. redo it. Um, there's also, um, yeah, obviously with habit systems, those are cool and all, and even my goal system in the notebook has a cool every two week refresh basically, but the problem is even with that, i had fallen into a rut for a while where basically i was just like okay these are the habits and i listed the same ones more or less every cycle well i haven't been doing that for a little bit for a few weeks because i was like i'm busy moving i can't do this i think i'm going to try to make a point to not just list the exact same formula essentially that i had for previously because it had become a bit stale it stopped feeling motivating to Mm -hmm. me. I think I need to, basically, there are just a lot of hidden assumptions in life that how we're already doing it is fine. And we need to find those assumptions and question them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was going to be my suggestion is question the assumptions about like what in your life is just okay. And ask yourself, like, is that actually just okay? Or do I kind of not like it? So for you, it was like the city you're in, which necessitated a big change. For me, it's a little smaller right now. It's like, okay, being at home all the time and living in an environment where it's not easy to walk or bike places and have like a purposeful reason for doing so, that's something that, you know, for a while i just sort of taken as the status quo. And when critically examined, I realized that's something that I do not like, Yeah. so let me go figure out how I can solve that. Um, and I, I think that for me, like getting an e-bike was the solution that might not be the solution for everyone, obviously because it costs money, but finding something that can and in- solve that initial problem and maybe cascade into uh, a series of other habit changes could be a way to like, do a little bit of a reboot and make your average day that much better. Yeah. I know personally I'm ex- I'm excited about the prospect of of having a place to go at least a few times a week that isn't here to get some work done.
1: Yeah, and spring's coming around, so mm-hmm.
0: and vaccinations
1: like- are coming around. It's a good it's a good time to start thinking about how to live life. Dude, I'm
0: so stoked to get my vaccination. So stoked. I know it's not gonna change everything, still gotta wear a mask, all that stuff, but just knowing I have it. Yeah. Like, ugh, I am I can't wait. And I think I only have to wait like less than a month. So that's going to be cool. Um, actually, one thing I thought about is when I was doing my internship where I did work in a different place from my home. Uh, one thing that I really enjoyed doing, which was a bit of a change, was just biking to work instead of driving. Like that little thing. It was physically harder and I had to get up earlier. But... I really liked it. And I always felt much better when I did it. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like, I feel like everything that I'm talking about right now is just like revolving around riding a bike. Cause that's what's in my head right now. And yeah. when something gets lodged in my head, I can't that's, really that's, that's how it not works. think about it not talk about it. <laughs> it's um, just how I am. I
1: guess. Uh, I- Yeah when somebody if you're if somebody is going through to try to solve one of these problems fix one of these assumptions that maybe we're wrong though I think the trick that gets a lot of us stuck is that um, marketing will attempt to make that problem more complex than maybe it was before so like if your problem was that it was obnoxious to bike to a location and an e-bike is a reasonable solution You might go look at e-bikes, and then marketing is going to try to tell you actually it's this precise angle of this that's the problem. Actually, this perfect, the perfect color, and that's the reason you're not happy. And or you go to a kitchen store, and you're like, I don't cook enough. Why is that? And they're just like, Well, here's a bunch of fancy stuff, and it's all hand wash only, and it's gonna, and if you're convinced for for a second, you might get it. But then the hand wash only turns everything. It ruins everything for me. I'm just like, I I don't want that. I want to throw it Mm -hmm. in the dishwasher. Don't give me that. But also you might lose sight of what the initial problem you were trying to fix was yeah, and uh, put it out of your reach. So if you go and get an e-bike that works, that's cool and, that, and that's reasonable and it's within the right price level or whatever. But if I need something fancy and I start researching for it, like if I start going to Amazon reviews or something, what's the most ultra five-star perfect thing ever? suddenly the marketing there is going to try to convince me all of these little tiny pieces were what was wrong with my ability to cook easily Mm -hmm. actually i need any crock pot at all just any any slow cooker does any kind at all yep that would be an improvement yep but if i get myself distracted and i start to think it has to be like this perfect crazy several hundred dollar one i might think okay okay well i can't get that right now i'll get it later it's too fancy it's too expensive but i don't want to get a regular one it's not the perfect one Now, I didn't fix any problem at all. I got myself hyped up for an expensive thing for later, and I just sit here and wait, not solving the problem of cooking more. So I think that part of what it would be good to do is learn to accept temporary solutions, at least, so Mm -hmm. a regular slow cooker would fix in that situation, but also making sure that you keep sight of what the actual problem you're trying to solve is. Everyone that's selling something wants to make that problem
0: more complex than it needs to be. That might be the smartest thing that has been said on this podcast so far. And like the, the marketing thing is the example, but I think the core of what you just said, that like that that is the one takeaway is there's so much out there that pushes you to try to find the perfect permanent solution to any problem. And in many cases, what you need to embrace is the thing that will work right now that you are able to do. Yeah. Yeah, then that, that's that's what we're doing in this
1: new place and I'm I'm really excited about that strategy. It's better. But like we get uh, we have trash recycling and compost. Mm-hmm. So we were we were looking at like okay, so what's like the best should we get like a split trash can? What we need a compost bin? How does that work? And then eventually I was just like, you know what? I don't actually understand this very well and I have work to do. Work is actually my level 1 thing I need to do right now. That's more important. Mm-hmm. Let's just like use a Paper grocery bag for recycling on the counter. You know, it's not pretty. It works for now. It's probably Mm -hmm. not long-term. But I don't actually care about it right now. Done. Accepted the temporary solution, and now I'm doing things that excite me instead of stressing out the next four days over the perfect trash can setup, which is what I did when I went to Colorado. I thought (laughs) I had to solve that stuff perfectly or else it wasn't good enough. It is good enough. Everything's temporary. Deal with it. Find something enjoyable to do instead of uh, perfecting things that are just really unimportant in the long run. I I'll, need to keep this. I'll stumble in mind. onto the solution eventually. I'll just find yeah. it. I'll be like, "Oh, that's it," and do it.
0: I need to keep this in mind as well. Uh, so, the, one of the problems I'm dealing with right now is I would really like to stop using Adobe tools. I like Premiere is so frustrating. Photoshop has just been garbage ever since the 2020 update. My computer is like more powerful than the Linus Tech Tips editor's computers. It's stupid how powerful my computer is. And even on a brand new installation of Windows, I opened up a brand new Photoshop copy and like dragging things around would be so choppy. And I went through every single performance optimization thing they suggested. Graphics card settings, drivers, all these memory cache things. It all is just bad. And then I tried Affinity Photo It's a $25 one-time purchase with every feature that I could think of from Photoshop and it just is beautifully smooth. So I'm like, okay, I really want to be done with Adobe. And I've been spinning my wheels because the obvious solution is, okay, switch to DaVinci Resolve for editing. And what I should do is what you just said, embrace imperfection. This is the solution that would solve the problem now. Don't worry about all the minor details, just try editing in there. But what my brain has been doing is, okay, well, what about these like, little edge cases where I want to animate a line in After Effects that has a specific kind of glow on it? How would I do that in Resolve? Maybe it's not going to work. I think I just have to stick with Premiere forever. Yeah, yeah, I used to do it. I, I've, <laughs> I've
1: done that a lot. Not even I used to do. I'm sure I'll still mm-hmm. do it at some point when I won't catch myself. But, yeah, you're like, but what about this thing that happens 1% of the time? It might happen. I need to solve yeah. it now. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. That's not even how learning works. You usually solve stuff just in time. That's the easiest way to learn something for me.
0: Yeah, and a little and things that I thought would be a huge problem in other areas, like this basement, when I was touring this house, the ceilings aren't nine feet tall. They're like less than eight feet tall. And I'm like, oh, the, my, I had nine foot tall ceilings in my basement in the house. you need that to film videos. You need nine footage foot ceilings. There. And you know what, you don't. I set up basically the exact same set area. And turns out I sit in a chair when I film videos, so no, nothing needs to go up 9 feet in the air. And sure, maybe I can't do little tiny specific things that I could do in the other house like boom, my biggest light over top of me and stand under it. Like, okay, I can't do that. But how often do I do that? I don't. So yeah, just and can you just adapt to not
1: doing it instead?
0: Yep. And that that's what I kind of what I realized is I I'm having a lot of fun building the studio, but I went into the project being like, I'm gonna build this perfect studio that has everything I could ever possibly need. It's gonna be masterfully planned from the get-go. And I don't think that's achievable.
1: No, you're I think top-down planning exactly something what going. would happen. You didn't yep, need to.
0: Exactly what's gonna happen or what would happen is what has always happened. I get the studio set up in a certain way, and then at some point down the line, I get an idea and I'm like, well, the studio as it is currently doesn't support that. I guess there's a change to make. So- It
1: will change. You, you get, mm-hmm. basically you need to accept that every solution you find is temporary and just go with it.
0: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's probably a pretty good place to to start wrapping up. Yeah. Unless you have other thoughts.
1: Um. I don't. We got a couple potential questions. If we have oh, time we do. for that, I'm not actually aware of how long we've been recording. So, you know, sometimes that depends on how long the episode's been. I don't know.
0: Well, this cool episode or this cool recording thing we're using actually tells us we've been recording oh, for wait, an hour where? and eight minutes. Oh, that's what, well,
1: you know what? That's nice. I think it's we have future.
0: time for some cult member questions. So uh, before we get into that, I do want to just kind of provide a bit of a recap because, I mean, I think most people listening to this podcast understand it whatever's in the title, is something we're often going to meander around because this podcast is not like the main Very videos. Very conversational. Yep, I'm not writing an essay here, but what I really liked that you said and what I'd like to iterate is uh, the idea that if you wanna make a change in your life, find a way to make a, a change that may be just a temporary fix, but that is something you can do now. Don't try to master plan your life to perfection and think that it's going to always be that way from from now on yeah. into infinity and you can't make a change if it's not going to work in that way cuz that's just it's never going to happen.
1: You'll end up changing that one anyway. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. I bought a fancy lamp. I don't have it now, you know? That that <laughs> lamp I thought would be the perfect thing to make my living room so happy. I, I, I don't have that. It was an mm-hmm. inconvenient to move. So it it was inconvenient and I adapted. You don't yep. know what future you needs. Yep.
0: And yeah, I was I was going to buy a nicer looking lamp last month, but uh, you know what? I think it would be better just to go to Target and get a regular old lamp because yeah, I ended I up buying like up, a $5 lamp afterward because it was brighter.
1: <laughs> it was the dumbest thing in the world, but yeah. if you want to change, if you want to change life, just figure out how to change it this week.
0: Just yeah.
1: Go. Do a little There's a duct tape solution. Ask mm-hmm. any coder, duct tape solutions. 80% of the time, again, it made up, but y- you feel it's true. They're just the actual solutions. How often do you actually go back and fix a duct tape solution to to code? You're on new yeah. stuff most of the time.
0: And if, of course the balance point there is, is, sometimes you do need to sit down and plan things out. Like you- Sometimes. I remember when we built CIG 5.0, which is I think the current design, you had really wanted so. to get the structure nailed down before you started coding because the previous version ha- was really just a bunch of duct tape and string.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but I only figured out that I should do that part better after making it duct tape in the previous version. That is true. It was a slight improvement from the previous one and I'm sure if I built it again I would slightly improve something else that I duct taped this time.
0: There are things that are still duct taped. Yes, there is still duct but tape. The site it's okay exists. to have duct
1: tape. Maybe that's the yep. best, maybe that's the best, it's okay to have some duct tape
0: in your life, you know? The site exists. And I would contend that we got the site, we got that design done well before the rest of the internet in at large sort of copied the same pattern, putting a huge premium on site speed and things like that. Yeah. Like there weren't there were not a ton of websites doing that design pattern back when we got it done. Yeah, we could have just sat around and waited three years to get it perfect, but we wouldn't have had a great, functional, publicly accessible website design for those three years. Uh, But we did. So anyway, um, hopefully this discussion was useful in some way. Uh, And we're going to get into some cult member Q&A. And uh, just as a reminder, cult members, people who have been initiated into the Enforium cult, which I think you can just initiate yourself by deciding you're in it, we don't have hooded robes right now. They're actually just shortage of those. Uh, if you have questions for us, the YouTube comments for the YouTube version of this podcast are a great place to put them. Otherwise, you can tweet them to us. I'm Tom Frankley on Twitter, and Martin is Yo Martholomew. So the first question is, how can I make money as a college student? Which I could turn into an entire episode. That could be an yeah, entire episode, if it's I true. I am not careful. so. Uh, lightning round. Here are some of the ways that I made money in college. The most fun one that I can think of right now is I went to the campus surplus store every Wednesday and I would buy cheap computers and cheap monitors from them. And then I would build them into complete PCs and put Ubuntu Linux on them and then sell them on Craigslist for a profit.
1: Oh, nice. That's pretty cool. That, yeah.
0: that was a fun little entrepreneurial thing I did. I also once was downtown in Ames and was too lazy to walk to the bus stop because I think it was a mile away. So I went into a used bike shop, bought a bike for $80, rode it back to campus, and then sold it for 110 on Craigslist. That may be my finest entrepreneurial moment right there. So uh, flipping things is a thing I did in college. I worked on campus jobs. The best one was probably working in the uh, solution center, which was like the IT support center. That was cool. I also worked in the campus web development department, but realized that I was too dumb of a coder to really be of use to them. So I was only there for like six (laughs) months. Uh, I was an RA, I did campus tours. Those are all paid jobs. So, you know, I I think the most obvious example here is go and find a part-time job either on or off campus. Um, I have found that on-campus part-time jobs are typically more convenient to your schedule if you live on campus. Yeah, Because you can usually walk from your class to them, which is pretty nice. I know um, some colleges will only let on-campus jobs go to people who are eligible for work study. So in those instances, you may have to go look for an off-campus job, but that was a good way to make money. And then I did freelance design, like freelance web development, a little bit. And then finally made money through blogging, but that's like the most long-term and also dubious way to make money, I think.
1: Yeah, you can't really guarantee you're gonna get a return on that while you're still in college, so it's not a a short-term plan.
0: I didn't start College Info Geek to make money. And I didn't think I'd make money. I started it because I got rejected from writing for another blog and then thought, this might look good on my resume. That was it. It was only like a year after when I started getting some real traffic, which was partly due to persistence but also partly due to luck, where I thought, okay, hmm, maybe this could make some money. And I started building that. but. You know, if you're going to get into content creation, I don't think money is the first motivation you should have. Uh, You also did some things too, right?
1: Uh, I would say most of what I did was literally just on-campus jobs uh, and then working with you. Um, The thing about my on-campus jobs, though, is I always chose stuff that was at at the very least in the department of something that would look look cool. Mostly Mm -hmm. it was computer jobs. Every job I tried to line up at college was a potential line on my resume. That's... I wanted it that way. And even if I would have just been working a desk, if I could make it in a desk of a department that sounded related to something I wanted to do, it would still look cooler on my resume. So I found on-campus stuff the most convenient, also because I got to walk or bike to it and use all the advantages of a college campus design Mm -hmm.
0: that we touched on earlier. I have a tier list for jobs in college. Tier one would be something that is extremely relevant to your major. So like literally, like if you're an MIS major like I was, a job in IT or MIS would be tier one. Yeah. Uh, and then tier two would be jobs that help you build useful soft skills that employers look for. So when I worked in the campus uh, or the, the business college's career services office, it not only helped me build relationships with career counselors, but I was also uh, talking with people face-to-face, writing professional emails, doing a lot of organization work. So you can look up lists of soft skills that employers look for and then find jobs that would help you build those. Tier three would be uh, a desk job where you have downtime. So you could build your own blog in your free time or whatever oh, yeah. it is, you know, just do yeah, useful do things. homework or something. And then tier four is anything else. So like, working at McDonald's is tier four because, well, I mean, I guess you get some soft skills from it, but for the most part, like you're doing money or you're doing work it, just to it's get like money.
1: It's for the money primarily. And there's right. no
0: downtime for you to work on I self-development. Depending on your
1: trajectory and career choices. But for the majors mm-hmm. we were in, it certainly wouldn't have been relevant to any MIS things. Yeah.
0: Um, so that's like the desirability that I look for or that I did look for as a student. But you uh, know what, if there's nothing else available and you got to work at McDonald's, like. Make some money.
1: Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that uh there's a pretty lengthy article on uh College Info Geek
0: about yes, we this have particular several. topic. So But yeah, I do think we have an on campus jobs article. So uh we'll put that in the show notes. And the last one. Oh, this one's for Martin. Do you create notebooks for the languages you're studying? No. No. No, so I'll don't elaborate. Have like...
1: I'm not just going to sit here. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I don't. Nope. That's it. And we're wrapping up. Now, uh, I don't create notebooks. This actually may seem weird. Um, I'm not much of a notes person when I'm learning things. I prefer to just immerse myself in doing things and then let myself remember what's important to the doing of the thing. Yeah. You know, so, like the trick to memorizing language things to me is to make remembering that part of the language important by using that language. If, if it's all flashcards and never speaking, if it's all grammar exercises and never reading or listening, I don't feel like it means as much to me. And my brain is not gonna think it's important. I, I, I don't think it's important. It's for artificial stuff like flashcards. I do use flashcards, but in combination with actual practice because actually using the language is what tells me which grammar points are important. Mm -hmm. the ones I need to use the increasingly rare ones that maybe I didn't memorize yet or don't know about yet are increasingly, they're they're rare. I haven't run into them. It's not that important. So I prefer just straight up practice and immersion rather than taking notes that I honestly probably won't ever look at again. Mm -hmm. Um, Once I put notes on stuff and I did this for almost all my classes, I didn't really take notes. I took notes in statistics, but that's because I took them in Spanish. I was just practicing Spanish. I, I don't like taking notes because once I've put something in there, it's sort of like I've given my brain permission to forget it because, hey, I could just look at my note later. Yeah. Um, It's useful as a reference sometimes, like formulas, stuff like that, which I certainly didn't memorize right away, and maybe task lists if I have too many, because the idea is to take it out of your head temporarily so you can focus on what you're doing. But with languages, the point to me is to be able to speak and read it and listen extemporane- or, yeah extemporaneously. That means it's supposed to be in my brain. I'm supposed to basically have it memorized. I don't want to have to pull out uh, a grammar note in Evernote or something or Notion to see what I'm doing next. I I just want to use the language enough that I remember it. There are plenty of resources on the internet that will teach me how to use the grammar i'm making my own notes there it doesn't actually i'm just copying their explanations basically yeah but i want the language in my head so i don't put it in notes
0: that's fair and i know a lot of people around the world do it that exact way as well they just learn it by using it
1: uh, well that's what i did in most of my classes and the reason i understood my classes right away and didn't have a lot of problems with stuff was because I sat there uh, with like rapt attention to the economics lectures and things like that. I was just paying so much attention and I wasn't simply, you know how some people, they'll take notes by just like typing out literally word for word what the professor is saying. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing that, uh, at least for me, if I try to do that, I'm also not really listening to the words. I'm listening to type them. I'm not listening to understand the concept. The concept is what's important, not my ability to type.
0: Yeah, you you turn yourself into a basically a stenographer at that point, yeah, a human transcription machine, and that is it.
1: And and then you have extra homework now because if you want to understand the concept, you need to read your. (laughs) You basically just need to experience the class a second time, yeah, via your notes. I never did that. Uh, I I don't like taking notes. I just ignore them. It's just a way for me to let stuff go into my ear and then you know out the other, as Mm -hmm. the people say.
0: That's yep, totally fair. Yeah, I think the the best way to progress in a language would be to practice it often in, yeah, I, you know, I in learned various ways, but in the ways that you want to use. So re- reading books like, or, like, I know you have a lot of conversations.
1: I, I on, do uh, speak it frequently. It, I yeah, italki. And then, um. so if anybody's studying Spanish, you'll know, you know that like uh, vosotros, that entire conjugational area is primarily used in Spain Spanish, not, not Latin or Central American mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I learned that, how to completely, un- I can hear it and understand it because I watched like 80 episodes of Spain Spanish Pokemon. Not because mm-hmm. I studied and memorized stuff out of a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of my teachers were from the, this hemisphere, so I didn't really get taught that um, conjugation table. Yeah. But I learned it from watching Pokemon, because I was just using it. I, I mm-hmm. learned it naturally through that. And I think that worked better than if I were to just sit there and torturously try to memorize the the table. Like, conjugation tables for French and Spanish are pretty intimidating.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah, and I imagine the stuff for English is even more intimidating if you yeah. don't speak it as your primary language. <laughs> All right, well, those are our cult member questions. So I think... It's now time to wrap this shandig up. Gotta say, this whole Riverside thing, the recording app we're using, I really like it. As long as it doesn't crash and delete everything when we're done re- we're um, my recording. My favorite
1: part <laughs> would be that if I get that adapter thing, we wouldn't have the situation where currently on screen I am jumping on a llama because my phone just ran out of space. And that oh. would be <laughs> solved. That would be solved right away. But then that le- would few- be fewer llamas though, so. Yeah. you
0: know. All right, well, if you are enjoying this show and you wanna subscribe and haven't done so already, go over to theinforium.com and you're gonna find subscribe buttons for Spotify, for YouTube, for Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all kinds of cool stuff. You can also just paste the URL for the RSS feed into any podcast reader you use uh, or just search for us in a podcast player app thing. Most of them have marketplaces now. So there's many ways to subscribe to the College of Boogie podcast except for it's now called the Inforium and I just have the you College know of Woogie podcast true. in my brain. <laughs> it is I have Inforium. so many I have done so many podcast episodes that I have to really think about putting the Inforium where College of bookie podcast. We'll just need to, to
1: do three hundred
0: more. Yep. I've done ad reads where Anna will be like, hey, you accidentally said College Info Geek in the URL and it's not that anymore and I have to go redo them. So (laughs) now I'm just like, put bang it into my head. You must say the Inforium. Uh, If you have questions, if you have feedback, Twitter is the best place for it, I think. Uh, I'm Tom Frankly. Martin is Yo Martholomew. Otherwise, leave some comments in the YouTube versions of these episodes. There are no comment sections anywhere else because that's how podcasts work. If you are enjoying this show and you are subscribed already and you are an Apple Podcasts user, there is a rating and review system. So it would be a great uh, way to support the show to leave us a five star rating and review if it's not too much trouble. But uh, hey, if it is, or if you just don't want to, then don't because I'm not your dad. But I will see you in the next episode. Thank you.